Welcome to this week's episode of the EcoScoop. I'm your host, Glavia, and this week we've got quite a busy episode for you guys. Now, just before Easter, I started looking at green politics with Professor John Barry, and we looked at some of the common myths surrounding green politics. This week, we're carrying on with that theme with our guest, Green Party MLA, Rachel Woods. She's going to be telling us a little bit about her journey into politics and specifically into the Green Party and some of the work that she does. In addition to that, we've also got an interview with Kerry Milford, who's the chair of East Belfast Green Party, and who's going to be talking to Caelan McNally about Lucy's Law, which is a, a piece of legislation aimed at targeting puppy farming. Now, to end, as usual, we've got our good news segment with Emma Smith with a very unusual bit of good news about fish. So stay tuned to the very end if you want to find out about that, and we hope you enjoy the show. So Lucy's Law is a piece of legislation that will require anyone seeking to purchase a new puppy or kitten in Northern Ireland to deal directly with a breeder rather than buying from a third-party seller. This has been introduced in a bid to try and curb the prevalence of puppy farms, which sees dogs being kept in inhumane and unsafe conditions, breeding litter after litter before subsequently being disposed of. We have with us today Kerry Milford, who is the chair of the East Belfast Greens and a member of the board for the QUB Green Party, to talk a little bit more about the legislation's introduction in Northern Ireland. Um, so firstly, good afternoon, Kerry. Uh, great to have you on with us. Um, Hi, Kerry. Nice to chat to you. Yeah, thanks very much. I suppose uh, you could start by telling the listeners at home a little bit more about the legislation and uh, why it's needed here in Northern Ireland. Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, so like you said in your introduction, um, Lucy's Law, it's named after a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, who's called Lucy. And she was rescued from a puppy farm where she was subjected to these like horrendous conditions. Um, and these puppy farms, they're found all over the UK and Ireland. And to sell the really high numbers of puppies that are bred there, they use like dealers as middlemen to kind of distribute them. Um, so the puppies, they're removed from their mums far too early, sometimes just a couple of weeks old. They're often really sick and traumatised. And it's just a really horrible business that puts profit before any animal concerns. It's been called um, a high volume, low welfare trade. So like you said, Lucy's Law, it bans the third party sale. So anyone that wants to get a new puppy, they, they need to buy direct from the breeder or as I would always encourage from an animal shelter. Um, the licensed dog breeders, they must be accountable. So they have to show the puppies interacting with the mums in the place of birth. And if the business sell, if any business sells puppies without a license, they can actually receive an unlimited fine or even a prison sentence of up to six months. Um, it just came into force in England in April 2020, um, and it's basically hoped that this is going to like spell the, the beginning of the end of puppy farming in the UK. Um, so in Northern Ireland specifically, um, we've made a little bit of progress. Um, Green Party councillor Anthony Flynn last year, he created a petition calling for the introduction of the law in Northern Ireland, um, and that petition got about 3,000 signatures. And then in December 2020, um, Green Party MLA, Rachel Woods, she submitted it in the Assembly. And then just this year, in February 2021, um, Edwin Poots, who's the Agriculture Minister, he replied saying that the Department is going to start preparing options to implement the legislation. Um, it would be great if these things could move quickly. Um, you know, 
it's Northern Ireland, but we're just really glad that the important first step has been made. And I'd like to say thank you to everyone that signed that petition. Fantastic. I suppose my question then, Kerry, is um, why why has it taken so long in Northern Ireland? Um, obviously, you said it was implemented in England in April 2020. Um, does this kind of show the uh, the bureaucracy of devolution starting in the way of animal rights? Um, and just a little bit more about the journey that, that has taken to get here. Yep, very much so. Um, so for why it took so long, um, I suppose even in England, which is the only place that Lucy's Law actually stands, um, progress to getting that on the statute book was really slow. Like it was about seven or eight years of campaigning. Um, and then animal welfare is a devolved matter, as you know, and like many, many other things, Northern Ireland is always a few steps behind um, mm -hmm. the rest of the UK. And it basically just took somebody to highlight the issue to actually get the ball rolling. And then, of course, with Brexit and COVID, this further complicates the introduction of new le new legislation. So, um, yeah, it's just like everything else. It always seems to be moving at a snail's pace here. Fantastic. And just further on the point of Brexit, um, obviously, we know that there's a lot of like EU regulations regarding um, environmental issues and whatnot. What does what does Brexit mean for, for animal rights in Northern Ireland in particular? Oh, um, so there had been talk about an all-Ireland animal abuse register, which would actually be really important in the context of Lucy's Law, because a lot of the puppy farms supply into Northern Ireland are actually in the south. Um, and the USPCA were very keen to introduce this, but I don't actually know the current status of this, and it could be complicated by Brexit, obviously. Um, then in a wider sense, um, post-Brexit animal welfare is a huge concern. Um, to be fair to them, like the Tories do actually pay fairly sizable lip service to animal welfare. And we have just seen the banning of live animal exports for food, um, which is going to be in, set in place by the end of this year. And that was currently allowed under EU rules. So that is actually a really positive step. Um, but at the same time, the government has refused to put in place legal guarantees that like other EU standards are going to be maintained. And then there's this huge worry that all these new trade deals will result in the dilution of animal welfare standards and it will just be like a race to the bottom. So I don't know if you're aware of the campaign that had been going on to try and stop the big pig farm bill built near Newton Abbey. Uh, I'm um, not, no. No, so it, it unfortunately, like despite the amazing campaign that the residents um, ran, it's actually just got the go ahead. Um, so that is just like us going down the path of these like super intensive American style factory farms where there's no concern about welfare. There's just as many animals packed in as possible. Loads of environmental damage. The animals are just pumped full of hormones. So I think like for, for anyone, like like any kind of sensible people that really care about animals, I think this is a really like important time for everybody to get mobilized and do everything we can to hold people to account. Yes, yeah, so obviously a lot still to be done. We can't uh, allow ourselves to become complacent. Um, Kerry, yeah. just in terms of uh, signposts and listeners who want to get involved, um, if anybody hears uh, you talking about Lucy's Law and wants, wants to want to help further the cause, where can we where can we send them? Yeah, so obviously the the Green Party is a party with animal welfare at its heart. Um, I would advise you to follow An uh, Anthony Flynn and Rachel Woods on Facebook on all social media, and they'll keep you up to date with it. Um, and also within Queens and um, lots of societies that care about animals as well. So I'd advise you to join them too. That's fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on, Kerry. Yeah. No problem. It's fun. No worries. Enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Kellen. So with me today, I've got Green Party MLA for North Down, Rachel Woods. 
Rachel, welcome to the EcoScoop and thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat to us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So can you start us off by just telling us a little bit about how you got involved with politics and in particular how you got involved with the Green Party? Yeah, no problem. Um, I suppose it goes back to me being a kid. Um, politics was not um, something that we really talked about in the home. Um, so I grew up just post-conflict. I'm one of those post-conflict babies um, and in, from 1989. So, you know, we were aware in the household that there was something big happening in Northern Ireland. You know, my parents would have talked about the Good Friday Agreement. They would have talked about Mo Molin. You know, that, that was the kind of conversation, but we never got into any kind of party politics. Um, and then when I went to secondary school, um, the school decided to have a mock election. Um, I think it was trying to teach the students about politics, but it was obviously that came with its own issues. And it was the first time that I really became aware of party politics and how you can be seen to be different from other people in that way, because we were not brought up in a, you know, sort of separate, you know, we mm. weren't aware about community differences and that kind of thing. But other students were asking things about like what party your parents vote for. And that, that was something that I had never had discussed with me I didn't know I didn't know where we stood you know as yeah. it were um so I would did study politics at DCA or at a level and had a keen interest just in kind of like it, from a historical perspective and then at uni I got involved in sort of activism in politics going to protests and caring about social justice issues um and then when I was 18, there was an election on. I was so excited to be allowed to vote for the first time. I was like, yes. <laughs> and didn't really understand why other people weren't as excited. Yeah. I was like, why is, no, why is nobody going to this? You know, what, what's happening? Um, my undergrad involved a bit of politics. I studied history and philosophy at Queen's. Um, and then I went on to do a master's degree at Queen's in terrorism and security studies. So obviously that was very political. Um, and during that time, I was taught by Professor John Barry, um, who is a well-known professor at Queen's. Um, and so I kind of came through the Queen's University School of John Barry of Green Politics. Um, so I hadn't really considered joining political parties. You know, at that time I was just involved in activism and got, you know, protests and things like that. And I protest, you know, attempted to protest in the Iraq war and stuff when I was at school, but I hadn't really thought about party politics. Um, but I did, got the push from John inadvertently, like a number of Greens, we have come through the, the John Barry School. Um, and got involved in volunteering um, with the Green Party in North Down and helping out in endless elections that we had for a few years here. And then our councillor in Bangor West had to step down for personal reasons. And I was asked if I wanted to run for co-option as a councillor. Um, certainly, I never saw myself being an elected politician, but I, I yeah, went for it. You know, I was fed up screaming at the TV, fed up with politicians claiming that they represented me when they clearly didn't. Um, and just wanted to sort of, you know, put the money where my wife was. Um, and if I was going to stand up for something different, then I might as well do it. So that that all happened then in 2016. And the rest, the kind, as I say, is history in that case. And now I'm here. Yeah, and here you are now. Here we are, a whirlwind kind of there. But yeah, sort of going back from, you know, Good Friday Agreement generation, not really being political, you know, with a capital P. University certainly changed everything um, and, and now get given the opportunity to be elected politics, why not?
Exactly. And I, I mean, it's really great to like listen to your journey because I think it'll be really inspiring to other students that are listening that are kind of wondering how do I get involved. And mm -hmm. um, so what about the Green Party? What is the vision of the Green Party that really resonated with you? Yeah, so the Greens, um, certainly, I, as I say, I was going through um, my university, um, my master's degree, and it was we were studying international political economy. And we were also studying um, peak oil and how our economy is based entirely on oil and how unsustainable that is. And we, we sort of delved into the green political economy. So that's where I kind of figured out the Green Party was something that I really resonated with me and my outlook on, on things and how unsustainable our society and economy is. So um, I was drawn in to, to, that for, to the Greens for that reason. And it was the only political party that I could find in Northern Ireland that actually took that seriously. So um, in Northern Ireland, the Greens are like a cross-community political party. Um, we have four key principles for green politics and it's social justice, environmental sustainability, grassroots democracy and non-violence. So it, all of those things kind of resonated with me. Um, as I said, I'm going back to my kind of protesting kind of activism days on social justice that, you know, that was taken seriously about looking after for vulnerable people, about giving the voices to, you know, people who traditionally didn't have voices in politics and in our communities, the importance of community as well, and also not being violent, you know, in, in all sense of the words, and also taking, you know, environmental sustainability as the most serious thing because it is for us um, tied entirely into our society and the way that we interact with each other and our economy and everything else set, you know, kind of flows from that. So it took into consideration all of my kind of key wants from politics. Yeah. Um, and certainly the policies um, spoke to me definitely. Um, and, and that's why I sort of approached the Greens and got involved with them. Um, so we're a very progressive party, very democratic. Um, it's the constituency groups and the members that drive our policies and the, what, what we stand for. It's not a top-down approach. Um, and social equality and environmental sustainability and protecting human rights, um, it, that, that's the core principles of the party. And we're not bogged down by the constitutional question, which I know a lot of political parties in Northern Ireland traditionally are. We were not born from the troubles. Um, we're, we're, we're born from something else. So um, I, I find that a lot of political parties end up with a narrow focus um, yeah. and everything is becoming a, like, you know, an us and them, orange and green, and not in our sense, but in a traditional sense. Um, and everything is kind of turned and you know framed in terms of division, and I don't like that. I don't like that negative kind of political situation here. I think a lot of people in my generation would be exactly the same. So it's about respecting local communities and the decisions at the lowest possible level. And I'm the only kind of party that was taking climate justice and social justice seriously, and also then taking the voices of young people very serious and encouraging participation, you know, from the youth voice. Um, and we have our young Greens, we have our queer Greens, we have, you know, we have Greens all over universities as well. And it's, it's trying to just ensure that their voices are heard rather than the traditional um, kind of politician and the political ideals um, that we've had here. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a, wee, a lot different than other political parties. And that's why I kind of felt at home there. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, it, the rest of them kind of didn't really resonate with me as much. 
It's really interesting that you kind of mentioned how um, historically and in Northern Ireland, there's sort of a very narrow political focus at times with some of the parties. Um, and I just find that really interesting because a lot of people are under the impression that the Green Party is quite a narrow party in that it only focuses on environmental politics. That, that's all that it's worried about. And you're probably quite well placed to kind of show why that isn't the case. I mean, I... I, I... Can I understand where the closing our name? It's the Green Party, so I can understand that why that um, perception is out there. But I think it's more of a perception and a label. Um, but if you kind of look at what we stand for and who we are, it's um, completely the opposite. Um, and I suppose it's just about actually delving in and looking at what we do. So yes, we are about environmental politics and social justice of course, because we cannot have climate justice without social justice. The two are completely inseparable. So we are there to challenge the um, like systematic injustices of society and just environmental destruction, inequalities and barriers through our core principles that I said earlier on, but also through you know what we're, what we're looking at. We don't have that narrow scope and we are widening participation in politics through our representation, where we stand and who we stand. Um, and in just in terms, I suppose, of the work that I do, I'm a member of the Justice Committee in the Assembly. And in the last year, um, we well, I've been certainly working on a massive amount of work in terms of the domestic abuse bill. Um, got pleased to say that um, I have got lots of amendments um, selected for that, um, looking at legal aid, looking at how victims of domestic abuse are treated in our justice system, looking at financial um, abuse, um, I'm looking at the moment on stalking legislation, uh, looking at upskirting and voyeurism, looking at a violence against women and girls strategy, which we've been pushing for for, for ages on this. So this is really good that um, this is coming to the surface now. We're looking at Gillen Review. We're looking at hate crime. We're looking at um, youth justice. That's a big part of our, our principles of the Green Party. And um, I'm, I'm certainly looking at how we treat young people in the criminal justice system. We have a lot of work going on on drug reform. And we like all of these other issues that I suppose in, uh, in our name wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily be obvious, but it is a core focus of our party. Um, and, and I've been working quite um, heavily with regards to social security and welfare, so-called welfare reform, and, and about making sure that people have access to, to finances that they deserve and, and just the discrimination and the, the, you know, just the policies that are actually affecting people. That's what we're, we're, we're there, we're working on it um, and, and we're, we're lobbying for change. So there's loads more going on than the names I would suggest. Um, and definitely we are not a, a, we're not a one policy party by any means. Um, there's so much there. Um, Greens were the first party to introduce the idea of equal marriage in the assembly and we have completely led on um, abortion reform and access to healthcare. So it, it, we just have to look at what, um, what we've been able to achieve and how we've been able to change the conversation and change the focus of the assembly and um, politics in Northern Ireland and it certainly hasn't just been one issue. No, that's it's brilliant to kind of hear you talk about that because it, it's one of those um, sort of misconceptions that really triggers me when I hear it that the Green Party is just all about um, environmental politics that's it it doesn't really worry about anything else um, and there's other assumptions that sort of come alongside that common misconception which is that you know good for the environment usually means bad for economic growth it means but it means um, 
no economic prosperity. Is that a barrier to electoral support, do you think? I don't know. I think um, people are coming around a wee bit more in terms of looking at different viewpoints. So if you look at, I think it also reflects about how we measure growth and what does what does progress look like and what does that even mean? If we look at a narrow focus on kind of macroeconomics and GDP and GVA and all that, you know, that skews data and it, it skews kind of what we're, what we're actually looking at. We're looking at health and well-being. And we can't have a healthy economy without the health of the environment or the planet. The two things are completely interlinked. The economy isn't some thing that is separate from us, you know, as humans on the planet. So like the links between the economy and the environment are huge, as I said, the environment provides resources to the economy and acts for like a sink for emissions and waste. So we destroy our planet, we destroy our economy, we keep yeah. exploiting the planet, we exploit the economy. And, and, and unfortunately, what happens then is that people are exploited. So it, it's all, as I said, it's all interlinked with climate justice and social justice and, and pollution and other pressures that we have to deal with. And poor environmental quality in turn affects economic growth by lowering the quantity and quality of resources that we have and we we, we see that through um, our over reliance on oil and on carbon and how that's exploited and, and the you know the issues then that happen whenever we start exploiting natural resources that we just don't have so i think i read a really good book recently um and it was called Cytopia, and i'm not doing any shameless plug but it was just a really really good book and it spoke to me because my, I'm really into food and food systems and food poverty. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I got involved in in politics as well um, about food waste and 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 because my background's hospitality, so I've just seen the level of food that is wasted and it's it turns me horrendous. Up. We have people literally starving. You know, we have child poverty is through the roof here, and and we are wasting. An, throwing out good quality food and it, it, the system is so messed up so that it's it, that kind of book really spoke to me and it was about food and if we put food back at the center of our community and look at everything that flows with that and we can have a good discussion about the links between environment and the economy practically and if, you know how food can be the priority for that so we cannot feed our population in the world a healthy diet we can't while balancing, you know, and, and exploiting, you know, the resources of the planet. We're in a climate crisis. We have ecological destruction. We have record obesity and we have soaring levels of food poverty and hunger. And in, and this is in the UK. This is supposed to be the fifth what, richest nation in, in the globe. And we're supposed to have fantastic GDP and exports. And But we don't. If you scratch beneath the surface, we have completely unsustainable practices socially and environmentally. And we have so much we can do with urban planning, with looking at farming, with looking at sustainable farming, with sustainable food systems, our debt, everything. And farmers and agriculture are, you know, the custodians of our land. They are key here. And, and when we're growing the food that we buy and eat, and, and so the cycle can, continues. So if we're not giving our farmers a good price and, and they're in poverty, for example, then what happens? Or if all our food is geared towards export, is there enough to, you know, there's plenty of food, but where is it going and yeah. who is not getting it? And then what's the impacts of that on the environment and our local population? And what's the consequences on the climate? So 
our entire health of our like economic indicators, whether it be GDP or GVA, is entirely balanced on the health of our environment and our local economy and our people. So we don't have an economy without people. So it's trying to put that focus back in. And that's, I, I don't, I understand where if we're looking at it kind of macro scale where, well, you know, if we start taking into environmental considerations into the economy, we won't have a good economy. No, we will. We just need to think about it differently, flip it on its head. And it's just, I think it's about the outlook and what we measure as progress and success. And for us at the Greens, it's it's health and well-being of people and planet because the two things are entirely interlinked. Yeah, and I suppose that that sort of discussion surrounding how policies are interlinked with each other and how you can't sort of look at one policy in isolation. So it brings me on to my next question, which is surrounding one of the debates that's quite um, quite common amongst green parties. It's about greening the economy, so reforming the economy as it stands, or transforming the economy. Um, what would be the position of the Green Party in Northern Ireland? Oh, I think we need to transform. <laughs> completely like as I say our current system is not working it's not working for the majority of people and it's not working for our local environment it's not working for our place it's not working for our planet we need a radical shake-up of how we do things how we measure things and what we hold important and we need a just transition and I think that's that's been fairly fairly clear from us for a very long time but if we have an opportunity, which we do, I believe, with COVID to build back a lot better and have a green recovery, but a proper green recovery, it, it is entirely transforming the way that we do things and the old ways of doing things and getting away from that. And we have seen the pandemic, just for example, exposing the disgusting inequalities that we have here and that have existed for a long time. This is not new. Um, and that the interests of some are prioritised over others. And we've seen food bank use increase, just to tie that in from earlier on. We have more people on social security benefits now than ever. We have certain businesses being favoured and the level of businesses that are excluded or been left behind is shocking. And, and we've seen inequalities laid bare and health being the most important you know, thing that we have. And we have a, a slight more appreciation, I think, for our health and our well-being now. But... You know, these are these are issues that were ongoing. Um, you know, air quality and pollution affecting vulnerable people. Same with COVID. COVID disproportionately affecting older people. How we care for people and the importance of good health and well-being and housing. You know, um, one of the first things that the assembly did was vote through that people wouldn't be evicted because you know it's a recognition that people are in vulnerable circumstances. Um, the government put a twenty pound off uplift on universal credit, a complete admission that the basic level was not enough to live on because that's what they did. And then the global inequalities too, we've seen from COVID, even with the vaccine and everything like that, and and how countries are being exploited, and our behaviour, and it's just we we need to have a system that's entirely based on need rather than mm. rather than what we have at the moment, which is it's just it's completely. Um, Sort of pursuing inequalities and and how can we do that well we need a just transition we need a low carbon economy we need community wealth building we need people to be participating in the decisions that affect them we need proper decision making and with voices being heard and communities the power of communities has been huge over covid you know everybody was clubbing together it was great um we need to support each other more um, but have that system based on need and, and on health and well-being and proper care. And I just, you know, why would we want a system of exploitation to be retained? 
because we, we it's not working. It's working yeah. for some, but it's certainly not working for the majority. And, and we just need to look at all of that. And, and that's why it needs to be completely transformed and how we look at things and what we measure. No, I, com- I, I mean, I completely agree. And I, I find it hard to believe that, you know, the arguments that you've made there don't resonate with the majority. I suppose my question is, if transformation is the way forward, how do you even begin to build consensus around such a radical like proposition? How, how do you even begin to change attitudes within politics to kind of get people to come around and think, actually, yes, maybe we do need to change the system. System is broken. It's not working. Oh, I think there's been those conversations have been long uh, ongoing and you just need to look at the the power of the even the youth climate strikes like l- that was phenomenal look at the power of Greta and what's going on here we have Anna and the climate strikers that are every Friday they are continuing like look at the levels of protest that was like um a couple of years ago on the, the global strike and I, I wasn't actually in Northern Ireland for it I was actually attending the strike in Minneapolis of all places but there was thousands of people, there was millions of people globally out. And that has changed the conversation. So there's been a lot more focus now on, on like from the IPCC report and everything. We've COP26, that's another opportunity as well to, to kind of change mindsets. And, I know, and it's brilliant that it's in the UK, it's in Glasgow um, this year, albeit in a slightly different format than I think was going to be assumed because of COVID. But it's still, this is a huge opportunity for us to reevaluate. Um, and take things seriously but I think there's a lot of changes that have happened in a very quick space of time you know we've been plugging away at this for years um, and we're going to continue this is a long journey and this is not going to change is not going to happen overnight but it is happening Um, so I think there's a lot of good things that have already gone on and, and the power of people clubbing together and demanding change and I think you know it just even from a Northern Ireland perspective like we have most political parties that have got environmental policies now and about climate change and wanting to talk about it. We just need to look at the climate bill that was introduced on Monday in the Assembly. It's got the backing of most of the political parties in the Assembly. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, Really, really good. You know, we have have a shift. People are talking about it. People talking about emissions. They're talking about inequalities. You know, the conversations are ongoing at so many levels, at a local community level, right up to, you know, global level with COP. So that's going to continue and we're not going to stop, you know, just if there's a climate bill and it passes, that's not the end of this. We've got a lot more to do. You know, there's a lot, lot, lots to do. And there's so many um, issues and so much that we can get getting on with. But I think there has been conversations. There's been policies put in. We just need to act on it now. And that's 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 where we're at. We need to start doing things. But we know where we need to go and we know how we need to get there. So it just needs to be taken a lot more seriously, I think, in terms of putting the money where the mouth is, uh, resourcing and financing. But I think we will get there. I have hope. <laughs> that's good. It's good to hear. It's really good to hear. And actually, I suppose that you've kind of already mentioned it, but this week has been a pretty eventful one um, for the Northern Ireland Assembly with the first climate change bill being um, proposed. Um, I know it's still really early days, but can you give us just like a general overview of, of the bill? What, what's it looking to achieve and how is it looking to do that? Yeah, no problem at all. As you said, it is quite early days. So what happened on Monday was the first stage. It's a procedural thing. So the bill gets introduced and after the first stage in the assembly, it then gets printed. And then in a number of weeks time, we don't have a date yet, but in a number of weeks, it will be second stage. And second stage is when the principles of the bill will be debated by the assembly. So it's an opportunity for all MLAs to have their say on it, which will be really welcome. So 
Yeah, um, Monday was a big day. Um, so my party leader, Claire Bailey, she is the lead sponsor on this. Um, and it's great to have such cross-party support. Um, so it's been drawn together by the Climate Coalition Northern Ireland, which is a group of legal professionals, scientists, academics, and environmental organizations from across Northern Ireland. And this is proper working together and co-design. This is, you know, this is brilliant. This is a really, really good, good thing. Everyone's got buy-in, people are, you know, having different you know different sort of coming from different perspectives but all agreeing on something and, and and having the political party backing is brilliant so we know that um climate breakdown is the defining issue of our time and it's something that the northern Ireland governments and administrations have completely failed to get to grips with uh, over the years and um what's in the bill so there's a number of of key key kind of asks in the bill so the targets around achieving net zero carbon by 2045 and enabling Northern Ireland to become climate resilient and to achieve environmentally sustainable economy and it's legally binding. So it declares a climate emergency from the moment that it receives royal assent and sets overarching climate objectives. It also um, looks to create a Northern Ireland climate office and also the Northern Ireland Climate Commissioner. And that is trying to ensure independent oversight and monitoring and requires them to produce a report within five years of royal assent and once every assembly term then. So it builds in the principles of a just transition into the bill. Um, so it's so far reaching, it's so wide and it, it just it, it's really ambitious. But ambition is really, really necessary if we're going to move beyond the point of irreversible climate breakdown and species decline, which we're already in emergency. So we do need to be ambitious and we do need to put in really, really solid targets and make sure that um, this actually happens. So that's that's the principles of the bill. And it's, it's really encouraging to see the bill actually um, being presented, uh, especially after sort of all the rhetoric around declaring climate emergency, but there being such a length of time between making that declaration and then actually seeing something come to fruition. So I completely agree with you. I think it's really positive and I'm, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on the next few stages of it over the next couple of weeks. And mm -hmm. um, before I let you go, do you have any advice for our listeners um, that might want to get involved in activism or even in politics? How, how do they go about doing that? Oh, loads. So I suppose from, you know, I, I, I was, I had the opportunity to volunteer um, and that's, you know, I was doing that while I was at uni and I was working full time as well. So it was something that I wanted to get a wee bit more experience in, in terms of, you know, working in a constituency office. And it was kind of, you know, what, what does that mean? But there's so many different sides to politics. You know, if, if it's electoral politics, go for it. Email your MLAs, email your councillors, um, email political parties and be like, do you need a hand if you have time and um, maybe they're doing internships some some people offer that or there's policy work you know do you want to help develop um where political parties or where policies go you can get involved in activism as i mentioned like the climate activists are, are brilliant um you could go and get involved with extinction rebellion if that's your thing you know but also you could become active in your local communities and i think that's where a lot of you, you kind of learn the key principles of, of sort of politics um, and I'm starting to represent your area and what happens. And if you want to start, you know, voicing the concerns of people, well, what's going on in your town? What's going on in your in your street? What's the issues? And, and try and make some change there for, you know, in a positive way, of course. But even if there's like a little community garden going on, you could start 
getting involved in that. Um, one of our counsellors, Brian Smith, he's doing phenomenal work in Listen to Shara, you know, doing alleyways and community groups and getting them involved. It's brilliant. And that's the kind of thing that you could start at a lower level, um, as in, in communities, but litter picking. You could do that and um, we do we do them all the time just as it's a bit of fun and you go out and well COVID obviously um, has changed that but we do a lot of online events as well and member engagement in our party um, and you know constituency groups events and there's all of that kind of politics um, that isn't isn't you know in the news and it's not the electoral side but if you ever if anybody really wants to run or get involved in politics just I would just reach out to anybody that you know that is involved and just ask them what it's like. And if it's something that you want to pursue, um, go find a political party that you might feel at home in. You know, have a wee look at their policies, their manifestos and what they stand for and what they've done and what they've achieved. And if they're, you know, you're not going to agree with 100% of policies, but if it's something that you think that you might feel at home in and that you, you know, go and have a chat with them and don't be afraid to reach out. That we're, that's what we're here for. We're here to, to talk to people and to um, encourage, you know, and I'm absolutely, if anybody wants to get involved and get their voice heard, that you, you please do it. <laughs> because if you don't ask, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to get anywhere and you can, you can become involved and you can lobby. And even if there's something, an issue that's important to you, you know, go and ask your local representatives where they stand on it and what they're doing about it um, and just get involved that way as well. Um, we've seen amazing engagement with the students, especially over COVID. Um, it's been fantastic. My inbox has been filling up and, you know, and and that's, it's good. You know, it, it's good that people are getting in contact about an issue that, that you care about, but find it if there's issues that you care about, go and, go and have a wee look at the, the political parties and see what, um, see what they're up to. But you know, there's so many different levels that you could get involved in. Um, and for me, it's really, really important about community voice and about uh, representing where you come from and doing something good at a local level as well, because that can make a massive difference. You can start at home, I think, is, is always the best way to start. And um, yeah, guys, you heard it here. Get in touch with political parties. Have a look. And if it if it tickles your fancy, get in touch with them and get involved. Um, Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat to us. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and find out a bit more about what the Green Party is doing. Um, and I'm sure our listeners have, have really enjoyed it too. No problem, anytime. And feel free to get in touch with me. I'm more than happy to chat to anybody at any time. There you go, guys. You heard it first. So with me as usual, I've got Ema Smith, who's going to talk to us about some good eco news. So Ema, to start us off, 22nd of April annually is Earth Day globally. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the story behind Earth Day, how it came about, what's usually celebrated in the day? Yeah, so Earth Day, um, I was first celebrated as Earth Day in 1970 um, and on April the 22nd. Um, so it was kind of it grew out of in the 1960s there was becoming environmental awareness of things like water pollution and air pollution um especially with rachel carson's book silent spring i think highlighted to many americans the environmental damage being done within society then i think it was 1969 there's an oil spill and this led then to more even more of a growing awareness which led one of the state senators gaylord nelson and peace activist john mcconnell to set up an organization um and they later changed the um name to earth day so it was that 
organization and kind of celebration not celebration day kind of a protest day where thousands took to the streets um to demonstrate against industrial developments that were having really bad health impacts on the people um so by the end of 1970 um as a result of the first earth day um it led kind of to the creation of the united states environmental protection agency um there are other laws brought in including education laws and um laws on environmental protection within 1970 and then in the next coming years by 1990 it was a global event and um, as it goes on it gets bigger and bigger and I think 2000 it kind of expanded to taking climate change um, and global warming awareness as well and not just kind of environmental water pollution air pollution so every year it's kind of growing and last year it was 2020 was 50 years of um, Earth Day being celebrated. Um, so yeah, it's just brilliant events kind of going on to highlight awareness. Um, there's the Paris, um, Paris Agreement was signed um, 2015. And yeah, so it's kind of a lot goes on every year. No, definitely. And it obviously sounds like originally it started off as a day to kind of organise protests surrounding environmental concerns. So obviously it started off as a protest sort of activism celebratory day. Um, so that's something we're seeing come up again. There's a lot of growing public interest in climate change and environmental concerns. Isn't that right? There definitely is. Um, like the 1970s was a big time for it. Um, things were kind of coming up in the 60s as well. Um, so it's kind of like it is very similar to what's happening today. People are like refusing to settle for like underwhelming kind of support systems and kind of governmental systems um, into areas of environment and areas that affect people in so many different ways. Um, so like people who are taking the streets in the thousands then, people are taking them in the thousands today. We saw with like even um, the past few years, the um, the Extinction Rebellion and the likes of the Fridays for Future. Um, so it is kind of like it's our generation now and it would have been um, even our parents' generation, grandparents back then. So there are very much like interconnected links as to the 1970s protests and the ones today with the added um, benefit today of social media, uh, where a lot of conversations are then started even between friends and families just from things like um, just internet posts but like strikes um mobilizations and kind of protests sitting in like sitting in streets as well I know people are doing that um but hopefully like that sort of stuff will start conversations and bring generations together um to tackle climate change and the environmental crisis biodiversity crisis um because it is a giant giant challenge and it's probably the biggest challenge that we are facing today yeah, no, definitely. And I agree with like what you were saying, social media just makes it so much easier to sort of organise and, and protest and share information compared to what the 1970s would be. In the 1970s, you probably did have need to have a dedicated day that you kind of told everyone, right, on this day we're protesting. But luckily, with social media, you don't really need to do that anymore. Um, so as far as I'm aware, um, Earth Day tends to have a theme year on year. Um, so what is the theme this year? And also, just for our listeners, kind of what kind of things can they see happening around Northern Ireland? Are there any events they can get involved with? Anything like that? Yes. So the theme this year um, is Restore Our Earth. Um, so yeah coming back to kind of basically coming back to nature but there are kind of things that are happening I think most things are kind of online this year as you can imagine just with COVID and everything else um so on the um, website for Earth Day I think it's www.earthday.org there's events that have been happening since Tuesday there's ones on Wednesday and on Thursday um this will be going out Thursday I think so um that's today um there's like online events there's online summits um I think there is a youth summit on Tuesday uh global education summit on Wednesday um 
so there's been a lot that have been happening um, over the past few days and even today. Um, so there's in Northern Ireland itself, there's Science Fair in Northern Ireland. Um, they've teamed up with the British Council in Northern Ireland, um, the National Geographic Society, the Department of Education and the Nurse Centre um, to present a series of talks and workshops for schools. Um, so they're kind of ones around um, classrooms with, um, I think, just Dr Giovanni Cimenti and Lisa Becking. Um, they're doing National Geographic. Um, there's documentary filmmaking competitions as well. Um, so that's all part of um, science festivals in Northern Ireland. And so that was kind of with the Department of Education, the British Council. Um, and so that all kind of goes to as well, um, the British Council's programme um, with the hashtag, hashtag the climate connection, um, all in the lead up um, to the COP26, basically, which is happening, I think it's next month. Um, so there's kind of a lot going on there. Um, and then there's tree planted events being organised locally. So you'll be able to find those maybe on Facebook. Um, the likes of that, um, Global Learning Schools Northern Ireland have events on their page for like primary schools and City Hall as well. You'll see that will be green and blue, which is nice. It'll be a nice kind of celebration, just um, kind of and a kind of awareness as well. Like people might not all be aware of Earth Day happening, but green and blue is lovely to see on City Hall. It's going to look gorgeous. Yeah. So if you walk past City Hall on Thursday and you wonder why on earth it's blue and green, that's why we're celebrating Earth Day um, in Northern Ireland on the 22nd of April, which is Thursday and is when this episode will be going out. And to finish this off, um, I think we've kind of just decided that this is going to be a thing going forward. We need a bit of feel good news at the end of the episode. And usually that's animal related. And this week we've got a really interesting one for our listeners, don't we? We sure do. <laughs> yes, this week we have, um, you'll never guess, it's a fish doorbell. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, this is quite an unusual one, but it's, it's lovely. Um, so in the Netherlands, um, in the city of Yurtek, um, there's like loads of canals, um, as there would be kind of all over different kind of countries, especially in the likes of the Netherlands. Um, but in the city of Yurtek this year, they've um, put in a system where now you can ring a doorbell to let fish through. Um, so there's lots of lock gates along canals um and it's kind of um throughout the year there'd be fish kind of going up the canals to spawn and to kind of breed um but because um there's some gates that don't open especially i think it's called the veered loose lock um some correct me if pronounce that wrong um but that doesn't open that often so it kind of fish would end up being crowded behind a lot trying to get up the canal um and it leaves them open to be attacked by predators and just there's just so many fish there like it's not ideal because they can't move um so the local people have set up a doorbell system where there's an underwater camera so people can look at it um i think there'll be like a screen beside the gate and there's an app and everything to go with it um so if there's a lot of fish there you can look at it and go yep that needs to be opened and you can tell the lock keeper um by using the app and that lock keeper then basically will see that the doorbell notification has come up so they'll check the camera as well and then they'll be able to manually open the gate if there are a lot of fish there needing through um so this means they can start breeding earlier they're not getting kind of come up by predators and yeah no it's just amazing it's, it's quite a fun one this week yeah it's definitely quite a fun one and it's a great way of seeing like a community respond to um a biodiversity issue and kind of you know working with um the wildlife and putting together a system that kind of works for them and it and it's Quite the idea. Who, who would have thought it? A fish doorbell. There you go. Um, and I think that's all we've got time for this week. Um, thank you to all our guests who took the time to take part in this episode. Thank you 
for listening and thank you to Seth Roberts as usual for putting this episode together for you and we will speak to you guys again next week. Bye.